are they saying that we give a lot of empty threats? Okay, I may be guilty of that a little bit once in a while. Can we have all the men stand up, and can we just give them a round of applause, ladies? All the men, just stand up, whether you're dad or not. I want to thank you men for all that you guys do. You guys can have a seat. Um, some of them didn't want to sit down. They never get any recognition, so they were <laughs> soaking this one up. Listen, even if you're not a dad, um, you have an, a male influence on people's lives. And uh, so we just want to say thank you. I look around the room, and uh, so many great dads, uh, many of you I look up to, and um, uh, just the examples that you guys uh, set. And uh, you know what? I, my generation, we get a lot of flack for a lot of things that we do or we don't do. But I tell you what, man, we know how to be dads. And, uh, and we, we, we work hard, but we play hard as well. And, uh, and we make memories with our kids. And uh, so I'm really proud of all of you guys. Um, my wife asked me what I wanted for Father's Day. I said, uh, a nap a steak, and a calves win. That's all I want. I'm a simple man. I'm a simple man. Listen, game seven tonight. You will hear screaming at about 11.05 tonight in Goldsboro. And I'm going to scream either, either way, whether we win or we lose. So it'll be a good scream or bad scream. Just to tell you how long it's been since we've won a championship, um, my dad is 72. He'll be 72 next month. And the last time Cleveland, my hometown, won a championship, my dad was 20 years old. That's how long it's been since we've seen a championship. So uh, just pray and fast today. <laughs> and now, you know, remember last Sunday, I, we, were talking on, we were talking on doubt, and I said, uh, I said, we were down 3-1 to the Warriors. And I said, I doubt that we can come back and win this thing. Well, we're tied 3-3 three, three right now. So uh, I'll let you guys know uh, uh, how it goes, or you'll just hear me. Uh, you'll, you'll hear me sometime tonight. But at the same time, I'll, my wife also reminded me that I've really been talking to my son a lot about self-control. And I asked him, I, I said that, I said, buddy, it's a big game tonight, all right? You can stay up with daddy and watch the whole thing. So I have an opportunity to show self-control. Uh, we are in a sermon series called When in Doubt, and we are on message two. If you're on social media, hashtag when in doubt. If you want these uh, sermon notes, just send an email to info at bridgechurch.cc. Last week, uh, we talked about had a little bit different perspective on doubt, and I shared a, a passage about a father whose son was tormented by demons. And some of the things that I shared last week, I said, uh, Jesus would rather have you doubt and do than doubt and don't. Remember, this father had this son that, that was possessed by demons and, and would throw him to the ground and, and he would uh, go into convulsions and, and scream and, and really affected you know, the whole family. They're basically, basically considered outcast. And so the father brings the son, to Jesus, because he hears that Jesus is healing people. And he brings the son to Jesus, and he says, Father, I believe, but help me with my unbelief as well. And even though he had doubts, he still brought his son to Jesus. 
we said that doubt creates dialogue. And, and when you're going through a difficult time and you don't know how it's going to turn out, uh, you know, it makes you get on your knees. It makes you pray. And, and doubt creates dialogue. I know when I'm going through a difficult time and when there's doubting in my life, I also find that's probably some of the times that I'm praying the most and talking to God as well. We said the devil will make you feel defeated when you doubt. Uh, the, the devil just wants to beat you up, and, 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 and when you doubt, he, he wants you to question your faith, and he wants you to question your salvation. He wants you to question everything in your life, especially God. And we said that despite the doubt, God still delivers. That it's not, it's not about you and I. It's about God, and God's the one that's in control. And even though this father had doubts, God still delivered, and he still healed his son. So part two, when you read what God says about faith, about assurance, and believing and not doubting, he speaks to two audiences, two audiences. One, the unbeliever, of course. God speaks to the person who has not yet believed in and surrendered to Christ as Savior. But two, he also speaks to the believer, the one who has surrendered to Christ, but maybe is struggling with doubt. You know, I've been in ministry for almost 15 years, and I'm always surprised to hear people who confess to be Christians, but they say, I hope when I die, I go to heaven. There's many, many Christians that I know, and even Christians here, that, that wonder if even, you know, they say, I've, I've confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I'm still not sure if I'm going to go to heaven when I die. So what does God have to say about the believer's assurance? 1 John 5.13 on the screen says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. So John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the three epistles, the three letters, and he also wrote the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John was written to influence unbelievers. So if you are new to the faith or you have questions, you're like, man, I've never even opened up a Bible before, I really encourage you to start with John. It's right there in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the four Gospels. John 20, 31 says, These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of John was written to reach the unsaved. So some of you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior. Your doubts about God have been winning the battle of your mind. The Gospel of John is written to you so that you might understand who Jesus is and the price he paid for your salvation. So if that is you, I encourage you to investigate Jesus and his teaching. Jesus welcomes your questions and your scrutiny. While he walked the earth, he was questioned and scrutinized the entire time he was here. And you know what? He had an answer for every question. And if you have questions, if, you're, if you are not a believer, I encourage you to just ask Jesus to show himself to you. 
asking, God, if you are real, show yourself to me. Because I want to believe, so help me with my unbelief. And he will. He will. I think sometimes in churches we talk about, like, you know, you can never, you know, never question God. But throughout Scripture, we see people questioning God. We see that realness. And I believe that Jesus appreciates that. Listen, Jesus is never going to be, if you have a question, he's never going to be like, yeah, I'm not really sure how to answer that one. You know, he's never going to be, he's never going to be stumped. The three epistles of John were written to encourage believers to help believers who are struggling with doubts of various kinds, primarily the assurance of their salvation. This tells me that a person can be a Christian and experience moments and seasons of doubt. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is writing to Christians who have doubts so they can defeat their doubts. Now, I'm not saying that doubts are good, but there's even a bright side to doubt. Doubt is to your spirit what pain is to your body. If you're feeling pain right now, and I've been playing with my kids in the pool over the weekend, so I'm feeling a little pain that I normally don't feel, but the older you get, that's the way it is. If you're feeling pain right now, it doesn't mean you're dead. It means that you are alive, that you are alive. Physical pain makes you stop what you're doing and recognize what's going on. If you're in pain, you're supposed to stop and say, wait, I'm feeling some pain right now. I better stop what, what, what I'm doing. When you have doubt, it makes you stop and think, why is there doubt right now in my life or about this situation that I'm going through? Is it because I'm relying on my own strength and not God's? Do I have this doubt because I'm walking out of fear and not faith? Do I have this doubt because I'm listening more to what people are saying instead of listening to God's word? Is it because I'm about to make a decision that God doesn't want me to make? So those are some questions that you have to ask yourself when you're doubting. So in this series, I want to show you how to be an overcomer when it comes to doubting. An overcomer is when someone else fights the battle for you and tells you that you're the winner. And that's what God did for us. He fought the battle for us. And so if we are believers, we can live victorious lives. Let me give you a little illustration. A woman came to Dwight L. Moody and said, I've been a Christian for 25 years, and I've never had one single doubt. He said, Madam, I doubt you're a Christian. That would be like someone saying, we've been married for 50 years and never had one argument. And I'd say, I doubt you're married. I doubt you're living in the same house. I doubt you're living in the same room, you know? I got married couples that live in different rooms. That's, that's weird to me. But I'm not trying to say that arguments are good or pain is good or doubt is good. I'm saying that these are realities of life. And when John said, I have written these things so you might have assurance, he is telling us that it is possible to be a Christian and sometimes struggle with doubt. 
So why is it so important to overcome our doubts? Assurance is essential to serving him. Assurance is essential to serving Jesus. Assurance is essential to influencing other believers. Assurance is the foundation we work from as his disciples. You see, when I know that my future is secure, then when I know that that his promises are true, then I can concentrate on my God-given mission in this world. What kind of disciple of Christ would I be if I'm always filled with doubt about my relationship with God? That I'm constantly doubting the words that he has spoken and written to me. It's hard to have a godly influence if you don't have an assurance of who God is and what he says. Let me give you an example. Um, So I'm one of your pastors, and after service, if you come to the altar, and maybe you don't know Jesus, and and you want to put your faith in in God, and and you want to know for sure that that you're going to heaven when when you die, and I'm talking with you, and uh, and I lead you into a prayer, and... um, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's heartfelt, and you've just surrendered your life to God. And, and I tell you, as one of the pastors, that, um, that, that bo- and before you walk away, I said, I said, man, I really, I really hope that you're saved. And, um, um, you know, you, you may go to heaven. I don't know. But enjoy your lunch. Like, if I'm one of your pastors... Do you want me to be filled with doubt? All right? Do you want me to have doubt of, of, of why we're here, of who we serve, of, of that? You want me to, you want me to have, you know, if you come with me and you have a situation that you're facing right now, and, and there's a bunch of doubt, and I'm gonna, I say to you, man, it's not looking good. You know, like, like is that going to help you? No. Like, okay, I have some doubts, okay, but I know who God is. I know that he has saved me. I know where I'm spending eternity. I know that he is with you in the midst of the valley because he has been with me every single time of my 38 years. And so I can help you walk through that. And I, and I have the confidence to be able to do that. Why was Paul such a powerful influence? He said in 2 Timothy 2.12, I know the one I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Paul was sure, man. John was saying to us, I write these letters so that you might have assurance, that you might know, not hope, not think, or wish, but that you might have full confidence in him, both in your relationship with him and his promises. John gives us three major questions we should ask ourselves. Three questions that help us evaluate our faith and confidence so that we can know that we have eternal life. So that we may have assurance as a faithful disciple and a servant of Christ. First test I'm going to call is the question of obedience or the test of obedience. Now I'm going to warn you a little bit. I'm going to read a passage And John's going to get up in your grill a little bit. Just giving you a little warning. 1 John 
second three through six. By this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk, to live in the same manner as he walked, as, 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 as he lived. So John's logic cannot be challenged. If a person is in Christ and Christ is in that person, then they're going to be walking like Jesus walks. This is living like Jesus lived. And how did Jesus live? Jesus kept, he obeyed the commands of God. Now, how to, hold on your seat. John says, I don't care whose church you're a member of. I don't care how much you know about the Bible. I don't care what kind of spiritual or emotional experience, experience you've had. If you're not keeping the commandments of God and you say that you know him, that you are a Christian, you are lying. You're a liar. So you have to ask yourself, is that me? Is John speaking to me? Do I say that I love God, but my lifestyle doesn't show it? Am I saying that I'm a Christian, but I do not obey the commands of Christ? Because if you can say that, then you have to... Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about struggles. We know we all got struggles. But if your lifestyle is a lifestyle of disobedience then are you really saved? Because I, I believe that there's, uh, in the church in general, I believe there's a lot of false salvation. And I don't want that. I don't want people thinking that they're right with God and that they're going to heaven when they're on a track for hell. I don't want that. None of us want that. So in light of John's teaching, let me ask you a question. How many of you since becoming a Christian have kept every command of God. Any hands raised? Okay, I was glad because there was a lightning bolt I was about ready to strike. So if you have not kept every commandment of God, does that mean that none of us have been saved or converted? Remember, John says if we know him, we're going to keep his commands, right? The key to understanding this seemingly impossible requirement is wrapped up in the word keep. This word keep is a sailor's term. Back in John's day, now I've never been sailing before, but when a sailor would be out on the high seas, he would steer by the stars. He would keep his eyes, his focus on the stars. And he would steer by the stars. So that word keeping is the same word as when the sailor kept his eyes on the stars. John borrows this sailor's term to teach us about what it means to keep, obey the commandments of God. The word of God is like the stars for the sailor. As Christians trying to navigate through this life, we set our heart on the word of God. As Christians, the commandments of God are our standard, our stars. And we are to chart the course of our life by fixing our eyes on them. We order our life. We chart the course of our life by fixating on the word of God. You want to know how you're doing? Are you obeying the commands of God? 
Are you following Scripture? Or is your life a complete contradiction to what Scripture says? I had a friend this past week who was, he's been kind of down and, and uh, uh, just kind of struggling right now, got, got some things going on in his life. And, uh, and we talked this past week, and I said, man, let me send you some sermons. So I sent him some sermons and, and told him to listen to it. And, uh, and he's been listening to some, 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 uh, some worship music and trying to get back on track. And, uh, and I saw him uh, over the weekend, and, man, he is like, he's like, man, I'm doing awesome. And, uh, and you, know, you know why I think part of that is? Is because he has been saturating himself with God's word. He's been saturating yourself with God's word. Listen, you cannot help but be encouraged when you saturate yourself with the word of God. Many of you drive uh, to work long distances or, or whatever it is. Listen to sermons, man. There's, there's so, man, radio stations, they just stink. I mean, some of them are terrible around here. And so I listen to sermons all the time. I listen to sermons in my car. I listen to sermons when I'm... Um, uh, sometimes my wife gets annoyed because I'll put my headphones on and I'll just clean the house like a madman. And, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just scrubbing away and I'm cleaning and my wife's trying to talk to me and I'm, I got my sermons in going on. And, and, uh, but saturate yourself with the word of God. It's so, so important. This does not mean, of course, that a sailor on the high sea would not be blown off course every once in a while. I mean... You get blown off course a little bit, right? It doesn't mean that he might not oversteer. It doesn't mean that he might not doze off of the wheel and somehow be distracted or somehow fail to keep a perfect chart. You know, I know some of you are just tired. Some of you are tired and, and you're trying to, you know, live this Christian life, but it's, but it's difficult. What is this teaching what this is teaching us is the standard, the aim, the desire, and the controlling factor in that sailor's life are like those stars. And he fixes his eyes on them. And this is the same way Christians are to focus on the word of God. That occasionally, you know what, we're going to get off track a little bit, but keep focused on the word of God. When John says that true Christians keep all the commandments, he's not talking about sinless perfection. Nowhere does the Bible teach sinless perfection. But the Bible does teach that we have no right to call ourselves children of God if we do not cherish, treasure, value, and prioritize God's words and commandments. Listen, if you don't value God, you don't value what he says, you don't value his teachings, then you're probably not saved. You're not. When you become a believer, your values change. And you value God, you value what God says, you value how you live, and the example you're being. The fact is, many people join the church like they're joining a country club. There's no change of heart, no change of lifestyle. And if your faith hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you. If, if, you, if your life is no different before Christ compared to after, then you're probably not saved. There should be a drastic change in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old things, the old desires have passed away. Behold, the new have come. Do you have new desires after being saved, after, after confessing your sins to Jesus? You should. So we're not talking about sinless perfection, but we are saying that when you become a true disciple of Christ, the goal, the aim of your life is going to be living according to God's word, your new nature. 1 John 2, 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him as Lord and Savior. If we keep his commandments, if we chart the course of our life by the word of God. 1 John 3, 7 and 9 says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteousness, just as he is righteous. Do you have more to that one? We got it. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one is born of God's practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. The word seed refers to the nature of God that remains in Christian. Even when a believer fails to keep the commandments. John is using a Greek, Greek verb form that says when a person is born of God, born of the Spirit, when the seed of God God's nature is planted, that person cannot constantly practice sin, meaning he cannot practice a lifestyle of sin. Practice, see, there's a difference between sinning occasionally and living a lifestyle of sin. There's a huge difference in that. You know, I used to really enjoy sinning. Two words for you, spring break. Another two words for you, Panama City. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I really enjoyed spring break in Panama City. And I sinned a lot. I used to have pictures, but I threw them away before my kids could see them. Um, when my kids are older and they're in college and they want to go to spring break, daddy's coming along. They're going to have a chaperone. And their friends are going to be like, dude, who's the old guy with sandals and socks? Oh, that's just my dad. And, you know, nowadays I hear that there are uh, seniors in high school that go on spring break with their classes. Ain't happening. It's not happening, man, especially in high school. My kids are not going anywhere with their class where there's a beach and all that other temptation stuff. Uh, without me. 
I used to really enjoy sinning, but I don't anymore. I don't anymore. You know, I may enjoy it maybe in the moment, but man, there is conviction. And, and, then, and then after I sin, I'll be like, why did I just do that? I mean, am I the only one that feels that way? Like, I feel like, I feel, like I, I feel terrible that it, that it did that. But I used to, before Christ, I didn't feel that way. As long as it felt good and made me happy, I was good, man. That's good. Spring break. Whatever. I mean, there are times in my life where when I wasn't on spring break, I lived like I was living in spring break. Why can't a person who was born of the Spirit make sin his lifestyle? Because when you are born of the Spirit, God's seed is planted in you. So when you fail to keep his commandment, his seed remains in you. What does it mean that his seed has remained in you? It means that when true conversion takes place, the germ of life that only comes from God above is planted. You are now born of God. Before you surrender your life to Christ, you are described in God's word as dead, as dead. But when you surrender to him in repentance, his seed of eternal life is planted in you and you are quickened or made alive. Man, there's so many years that I was walking around, but I was dead. I was, I was like a shell. And, and, and God saved me, and now I'm alive in Christ. And I'm, I'm never going back. I'm never going back. So John is saying, if you can sin willfully, knowingly, deliberately, if you can practice sin as a lifestyle, and at the same time have no sense of conviction, no sense of regret, no sorrow, no grief, no remorse. John is telling you and I that there's no reason to believe that you have been genuinely converted. People who are living a convictionless lifestyle of sin have no reason to believe that they are also going to be going to heaven. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not teaching that we are made right with God because we keep his commandments. I am teaching that when a person is born of the Spirit by surrendering his or her life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, when the seed of God, when the, when the seed of God's nature is planted in us at conversion, then the dominant passion in our life will be to keep his commandments. Like they are no longer burdensome, you want to obey. All right, you know, when you first come to Jesus, man, there's some stuff he's got, he, you know, he works out in you. And, and there's some things that are they're just hard, they're hard teaching to take. And you're like, all right, God, I, you know, I want to do this, but you're telling me I have to. So you're kind of doingly, but, you know, you're not, you know, willingly doing it. But as you grow and as you mature, you want to obey. You want to obey. Think about how your kids are right now. If you've got small kids, they don't want to obey. But the older they get, once they kind of get through the teenage years, uh, anyone with teenagers right now, I'm praying for you right now. Uh, once you kind of get through that and they mature and they get older, they don't want to disobey. They want to obey, right? Just same, same thing with us when we grow and mature. Salvation is not by commandment keeping. Commandment keeping is the fruit 
of his seed being planted in us at the second birth. Salvation is by grace and grace alone. The undeserved love and forgiveness of God. That's what grace is about. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And that's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion out there. This sermon series is about knowing, having a deep assurance that we've been transformed by the Holy Spirit because we keep his commandments. We've talked about the question of obedience. Next week, I want to give you another question, the question of love or the test of love. It's not about being perfect, but living passionately for Jesus and loving his word. Now, I know that this was kind of a different message. This is a little bit more, you know, in your face. And listen, we, we have fun here at the bridge. We laugh. Uh, you know, pastors wear jerseys to preach in, you know. Um, we can celebrate, but I tell you what, man, we cannot water down the gospel message. And if there are people in here right now that are not saved, that believe that they're saved and going to heaven, and I don't preach the truth, then when I stand before God as one of your pastors, I have an account for that. And I want to, I want to tell God, I want to say, God, I did everything I could to preach your message, to preach your truth. But you have the choice to decide what you're going to do. You have the choice. You have the free will to decide who you're going to live for. And that is your decision. I can't make that decision for you. I can present the truth. I can present the gospel. And the ball's in your court. And what are you going to do with it? Let me pray. God, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for being an amazing father. God, you have been so, so good to me. You have been so good to all of us in this room, in this worship auditorium. God, I think about all, our, all of these kids in these rooms right now. We have probably over 60 kids in four different rooms that are looking to us to model for them what faith looks like. And God, we can't do it. We cannot do it on our own. We need you. We need your strength to help us. God, when we have doubts, help us believe. God, but I pray that, that there's no one that leaves today that is questioning their salvation because they can know without a doubt. They can be more sure of that than anything else about their salvation and, and, and where they're going when they die. Lord, tomorrow is never promised. So I just pray, God, if there's anyone in here this morning on June 19th, Father's Day. If there's anyone in here, Lord, whether, whether it's a dad or, 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 or a woman, whatever it is, that if they have not put their trust in you, they can do that right now. Just by saying, God, I, I believe that I'm a sinner, that there need to be a price paid for my sins, that I believe in you, that you are my Savior. I want to give you control. I want to put my trust in you. And I'm surrendering my life today. That's all you have to say. It's not a, it's not a special prayer. It's, it's a surrender. Or maybe there's some people in here right now that, that are living a lifestyle that's not honoring to God. And, 
And maybe you, maybe you say that, you know, that you're a Christian, that you love Jesus, but your lifestyle doesn't show that at all. Maybe your home life doesn't show that at all. You know, you, you tell people that you're, that you're saved, but, but, but maybe your spouse and your kids have a, are having a hard time believing that because you're a totally, totally different person at home. If you're making a decision or, or, or if you're just saying, if you're making a first-time decision or if you're just saying, God, I need to get right with you, I'm not living a lifestyle that's pleasing to you and honoring to you. I don't want to live a lifestyle of sin, but a, a lifestyle of surrender. With all eyes closed, just on the count of three, would you just raise your hand and just recognize that you're making a decision? On the count of three, one, two, three. Raise up your hand if you're making a decision. I see hand up, I see hand up, I see hand up. Anyone else? I see hand up. Anyone else making a decision to get right with the Lord today? Or just saying, God, I just, I'm not living honoring to you. I see your hands. Maybe you can put them down now. God, I thank you for the decisions that were made today. Lord, that, that people can, can look back on this day and say, you know what? I got right on Father's Day with the Lord. That I know where I'm going when I die. That my hope and, and my strength is in Jesus, not myself, to live this Christian life because it's too hard. God, I love you. I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision, we've got some resources in the back table there. I encourage you to stop by and pick that up. VIP, if you're a first-time guest, stop by our VIP table. We're going to have some people up here to pray, if you would like to pray. Uh, dads, if you have some kids, stop by and get uh, as many coins as you got kids on your way out. And uh, just uh, give them to your kids, and they can give them to you anytime they want. Spend one hour and uh, look forward to kind of hearing what those kids want to do with you guys. And... Um, we love you guys. Have a great day. Uh, got you out of here. Pretty good, pretty decent time, so you can enjoy that barbecue. And uh, go Cavs. Love you guys. Take care.